Welcome to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network, a show that streams health, happiness, and hope to the kidney community. You can download all Kidney Talk shows from iTunes and find a variety of resources to help you navigate this illness at rsnhope.org. Please welcome your host, Lori Hartwell, who has lived with kidney disease since the age of two. Well, welcome to Kidney Talk. Um, today we're going to be talking about a subject that I'm, you know, learned a little bit more about. Some of my friends, family members have had to deal with it, and it's basically, you know, Alzheimer's. And you know, I even find that word hard to say because it's it's doesn't like roll off your tongue. <laughs> um, but today we're going to be talking to Susan Halland. She's the director of education for the Alzheimer's Association, California Southland chapter. And she's going to educate us today about it, what we can do, and some resources out there. So welcome to the show, Susan. Thank you very much. So, you know, when I hear the term Alzheimer's, and am I even saying that correct? Yeah, it's still, it, you're right. It really is an awkward term that kind of doesn't really fit with how we want to say it. And is it named after a doctor or something? Because I always figure that's why names are so weird is because it's usually a, somebody's last name. You're absolutely right. It was Dr. Alzheimer's, who is a German physician, who was the first individual to have a patient that he noted changes in cognition that was what we're, we now recognize as Alzheimer's disease. Well, and then, you know, we hear the word dementia, Mm -hmm. and can you explain a little bit, because, you know, is it the same, is it different? Um, You know, I'm confused. (laughs) You are like everyone else. It is a fine line. So dementia is what we used to call senility, and it really is changes in thinking, learning, information processing, and retrieval. In someone who has a dementia, it can be caused by a variety of things. It could be a disease, such as Alzheimer's. It could be a low vitamin B12. It could be depression. So there are a whole host of things that cause dementia. What's really good to note is some people say, oh, you know, I'm not feeling so well today. I wonder if that's dementia. But these changes need to be new in more than one area and interfere with day-to-day life. So Alzheimer's is a disease process. Alzheimer's kills cells in the brain. And due to that cell death, there are symptoms that an individual would experience that include what you would see with dementia. So changes in cognition, learning, memory, communicating. So does that help a little bit? It does. I mean, one of the things I've heard a lot is that, you know, uh, a family member repeats themselves over and over again. And would that be Alzheimer's or dementia? You know, it probably would need to, someone would need to look at the underlying risk factors. Okay. You and I sitting here could not look at, say, my mom or a neighbor and say, well, I think that might be this or that. It really takes a very thorough medical assessment for an individual to, you know, be identified as having Alzheimer's disease or a low vitamin B12 or, you know, high blood pressure. Well, and what's really interesting to me is, you know, uh, the the people listening to this show are people who, um, you know, have kidney disease or the healthcare professionals. And, you know, when you go to dialysis, you know, half the population's over 65. And so, you know, healthcare professionals and other patients who, you know, sit next to a patient who is over 65 needs to be aware of some of this because, you know, sometimes you forget, oh, they keep repeating themselves or they're, they're driving me crazy or, um, and then realize that it actually could be a, a, 
a physical problem. <laughs> I know sometimes we lose patience, you know, and, and you have to remember that they, the person isn't always meaning to repeat themselves or, or forget or have some other problem. Right, absolutely. Is Alzheimer's curable? You know, unfortunately, at this point, there is no cure. And of the top 10 reasons for death in the population over age 65, Alzheimer's disease is number six. And it's the only disease or health condition that does not have a cure, effective treatment, or ways to prevent the development of the disease. Well, and what's interesting to me is that, so basically, just so I understand this, Alzheimer's basically, the the brain cells start to die off, right? Correct. And that, that's basically what's happening. And um, so if, if the brain cells all die, does that mean the body can't be told what to do? Correct. <laughs> I mean, I'm just trying to look like, oh, my hand won't move or I won't be able to, you know, have uh, know to go to the bathroom or know to walk because the brain cells all make that happen. And that's what then causes death? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'm just trying to understand the process. Right. And again, I think what you mentioned is many of the, your listeners also are um, receiving dialysis or working in dialysis centers. And so nothing ever happens in isolation. So we frequently do see individuals who have Alzheimer's disease with coexisting health conditions. Um, however, many people with Alzheimer's disease will pass away due to say, pneumonia or urinary tract infection. And if they do live long enough, so again, there are a lot of stages and individuals can live with this disease anywhere from 3 to 20 years, the basic functions do begin to kind of slow, uh, trouble swallowing, trouble moving. Um, so some of the basic functions break down at the end of life as well. Well, is, is this hereditary? Yes and no. How's that for a good vague answer? Okay. For you? No, that's that's very clear. <laughs> <laughs> for some individuals, there is a mutated gene that is passed along the family, and if you have that mutated gene, you will develop Alzheimer's disease. Fortunately, that's not the, most of the individuals. Um, for most of us who have the disease, maybe in our family, clearly having an immediate family member with the disease increases our risk, but it doesn't make it. Predictive. It doesn't say, you know, my brother had it and my mom had it, I'm doomed. Not so. Um, areas that probably influence, you know, genetics probably influences the expression of the disease, maybe 25% of the cases. Um, environment is being looked at now, how that might influence an individual developing the disease. And then also other pre-existing conditions, um, people who have poorly managed diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, um, tend to be overweight, are at a greater risk of developing kind of memory and thinking problems, which may or may not develop into Alzheimer's disease. Uh, who gets Alzheimer's? Is it a certain age? Is it anybody? Is everybody at risk? Right. Well, right now we say, you know, if you have a brain, you are at risk of developing <laughs> Alzheimer's disease. So it is more or less an equal opportunity disease. We are seeing more cases of it because as a population, we're all living longer. Right. So between now and the year 2030, the number of cases of Alzheimer's disease will actually double. Wow. And that's really just most of us living longer. Right. Um, rule of thumb, it's about 1 in 10 individuals over age 65. Mm-hmm. And then once you reach the age of 85, it's about, you know, 47% of that population will have Alzheimer's disease or a related dementia. And I think it's interesting because it's it's, you know, you just made it so clear. I never even heard like 
uh, Alzheimer's is the dying of, of brain cells. I mean, and basically as you get older, all of our cells are kind of, you know, on the brink. You know, they're all kind of, you know, struggling because they're they're not actually building and growing. They were, were aging. So this is actually a normal, pro- normal process of just living and getting older. Well, part of it. I mean, there are significant changes all of us go through as we grow older. You know, we might not run as fast. We can't see as well or hear as well. And there are very normal changes that occur in the brain. So it might take longer to learn information or longer to recall information. But typically we get it. Um, But Alzheimer's is a disease process. So it's not necessarily a normal part of the aging process, but it is more of a disease. And what are some just, you know, basic symptoms that people could look for? Yeah, some of those early symptoms are hard to pick up because the individual really has this ability to compensate for some of the areas in which they're having problems. But early on, it might be um, having some problems with short-term memory, mm-hmm. repeating the same question, not remembering that I just uh, called you on the phone. And these problems are probably not an everyday occurrence. Um, however, close family and friends might start recognizing. Right. Someone might start having problems making change with money, mm-hmm. um, having problems uh, writing a quick two-sentence email and sending it off. It might start taking four minutes, an hour. And when the individual receives it, it just doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Problems with driving as well is pretty common. Well, yeah, that's always the most difficult thing because, you know, you never want to take the keys away from grandma. <laughs> you know, that's a hard thing to do, isn't it? It, it really is. And <laughs> I think that's kind of, um, with this disease, the challenge is that a lot of this burden of responsibility falls to family members. So as the Alzheimer's Association, we're as concerned with the individual who has Alzheimer's, but also those family members. And this is the perfect case of how do I take the keys from an individual when driving represents so much to to all of us. It's independence. It's freedom. We can do what and when we want. But, however, caregivers frequently need to step in and make those really hard decisions uh, for the safety of their loved one, for the safety of the community. And that's really difficult to do. I know I had a a friend of mine whose mom is experiencing severe Alzheimer's and uh, for some reason, she went to the DMV and they issued her a license again, and she couldn't like fill out her name. Oh wow! It was really quite you know horrific. And uh, my friend was explaining this situation to me, and I basically said, "Well, call your state assembly member and tell them." And basically, this particular state assembly member jumped in and did all the paperwork um, with, you know, this person and then notified the DMV and they're going to reclassify her her license so it's not coming from the family. And, um, you know, and it was, it was, she felt really, uh, you know, a little bit more relaxed. It's a difficult topic, but for whatever reason, they approved her license and she could not, you know, even remember her address. Wow. So um, sometimes, you know, uh, as, as you said, you know, you, you're able to compensate and make excuses. And I imagine her, her mother did this and was very convincing. But the daughter saw, oh, my God, she can't find her way home sometimes. And she's going to end up hurting herself and somebody else. So um, there are a lot of ways to, you know, help you not be the bad cop. Because, you know, you're that's the real issue is like you're being the bad cop because they – 
they, they see that you're taking something away from them. Right. And we don't say that being a bad cop. We say invoking a different authority. Oh, okay. Yes. I like that, that term. Yes, exactly. So it's pulling in that physician and having them write a prescription that says you may not drive or having the financial advisor right. say, you know, at this point, it, it's too expensive for you to keep this car and the insurance. I don't think you should keep it I anymore. Know. Isn't it? It's so true. Um, and, you know, it also comes down to, you know, them shopping and making decisions. They might not be able to shop like they used to and, and make the right food choices. And you'll, you'll suddenly open their cupboard and it's all, you know, uh, not the most healthiest of choices. Exactly. Exactly. And even uh, just going on your vein of shopping, there's a lot of money mismanagement. Right. Um, my grandmother renewed her lady's home journal for 30 years. <laughs> just because they kept sending her renewal notices. So again, when you talk about some of those early signs, money mismanagement yes. or making poor decisions with money seems to crop up a lot. Well, you know, that brings an interesting point because, you know, um, my mom, she seems to, for a while there, would get every single notification to give money. And, you know, I'm like, why are you supporting this g g organization? I mean, I've never heard of them, and they just seem to get on a mailing list and get bombarded to give five, ten, fifteen, twenty dollars. And, um, you know, and quite frankly, some of the organizations she was getting emails from, I have never heard of in my entire, I don't even know where they exist. And so I guess that's another way of mismanagement, unfortunately. Some organizations are preying upon this, it seems. So you have to really intervene. And, you know, once they get on a mailing list, they just don't stop mailing these people, no matter what you do to tell them to stop, you know, sending solicitations. Right. And sometimes in that case, you can always maybe get a P.O. box or divert the mail to another family member who can screen it and then put the appropriate information or appropriate mail yeah. in the mailbox. Yeah, that's such a good point because um, people take advantage of people that they see as an easy mark. I know. Isn't that sad? I mean, how many times have we heard about, I've heard about twice now that somebody calls a person on the phone and says that they're, they're the grandchild and that they need money. And um, and then the person who's answering the phone obviously has some signs of dementia and or Alzheimer's, and they don't want to act like they don't know their grandchild. And, you know, I know of somebody who sent $2,500 to a complete stranger because of the fact that they preyed upon them not remembering. And so you have to be very, very cautious. So can Alzheimer's be prevented? You know, at this point, we're not really sure what causes Alzheimer's disease, those plaques and tangles that build up in the brain. So it's really hard to say we can prevent. Um, we do talk about reducing risk, and a lot of those activities are exercise. Um, exercise seems to help um, with kind of the kind of normal shrinkage of the brain. People who exercise do well. People who engage in maybe learning new information seems to help. People who keep other health conditions in check. My diabetes is perfectly managed all the time. That tends to lessen the risk of developing thinking and memory problems in later life. What about crossword puzzles and word searches? I would say anything that's new that challenges your brain. Okay. So some people, you know, I've been to senior centers and, you know, an older woman with tears in her eyes says, you know, I do Sudoku, you know, two hours every day and I hate it. 
It's like, well, don't do it if you hate it. Find something that you really enjoy and kind of, you know, works your brain. And it can be everything from if you go out for a morning walk and always turn right, turn left. Well, and I know one a popular activity is bingo. Mm-hmm. And um, a, a couple of months ago, I decided, oh, I'm going to go play bingo, right? So I'm like, oh, I can handle nine cards or whatever. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, I, I think I need, I, I have some problems. I mean, and then there were other people sitting around me, like they're just, you know, going at it with the dabber, and they're able to just manage all of them. I'm like, wait a second, I can't keep up. So um, I didn't realize how challenging bingo can be. Um, and uh, I have new respect for uh, the elderly population that you see at a lot of bingo um, conferences um, have when they have these multiple cards. Yeah. <laughs> so it is a good exercise um, in, you know, thinking quickly. Right. And, and something that people enjoy too. So yes. it's like working the brain, being social, and something that's enjoyable are the key. Exactly. Until, you know, after so many times you don't win, you get a little depressed. But yeah. That's okay. So how does a person get diagnosed? You know, a diagnosis is really hard in this day and age still. Um, there are specialists. So usually we encourage individuals to start with their primary care physician. Um, Medicare has an annual wellness exam where there are some cognitive screening questions built into that. But it's also very useful for family members, um, neighbors, friends to take notes. Um, you know, I was talking to Susan on Kidney Talk, and she told me the same story three times in a row and didn't seem to be aware of it. Right. So keeping like a record or a log really helps physicians understand what is going on. But it really is a full battery of tests. We used to talk about it as a diagnosis of exclusion. It's not this, it's not that, so it must be this. And it's in some case still the same, but physicians are about 90% accurate in making a diagnosis of Alzheimer's disease. There are specialists who can be enlisted to augment you know, the expertise of that primary care physician. And it's really involving blood work, um, a full medical history, some cognitive testing. Some people have brain scans as well that look at shrinkage or um, the amount of glucose uptake in certain areas of the brain. Well, and would a specialist be a neurologist or is there a specialist Alzheimer's physician? You're right. A neurologist is a good person, a geriatrician who specializes in older adults. Um, Psychiatrists are also sometimes involved. And I think the key is finding a physician that has worked with other individuals with Alzheimer's disease and that the individuals who is experiencing cognitive problems as well as their family really feels comfortable having a good relationship with this physician. It's so important. I mean, you know, when you pick a physician, it's like picking a husband yeah. or a spouse. I mean, you know, it's 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 so important. It's so much work. I, I'm actually seeing um, a new doctor, uh, orthopedic doctor, and I might have to have some surgery in the future. And I've seen him twice just because I feel like I'm dating him. And I got, you know, eventually I got to trust the guy with surgery. And I want to get to know him and see if he's the right doctor for me. And, you know, it's it's uh, gets quite difficult when you see as many doctors I have. But um, when you're make, seeing a new physician, you really have to go through a dating process with them. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Is he listening to me? Will she be responsive to my needs? Exactly. You know, it, it's so important. Um, so what can the Alzheimer's Association offer to people listening? And, you know, how do they get more information? So the Alzheimer's Association is nationwide, which is a nice uh, safety net for individuals regardless of where they live. 
Also, many families don't all live in the same area, so the supportive services we have, say, here are available in other parts of the country as well. The two main points of entry to the Alzheimer's Association is we have a helpline, and that's 800-272-3900, and that's answered day, night, weekday, weekend, and it is also answered in other languages. That's wonderful. 24 hours, seven days a week. You're just right up there with 7-Eleven. Yeah. <laughs> no Slurpees, though. I know. I know. But that that's a, a great service because I imagine, and I don't know if this is for other people, you know, things never happen 9 to 5. They always happen, you know, late at night, and you got to make a decision, and um, you know, that's wonderful that you offer that, that resource. Yes. And it's everything from just supportive listening through the helpline to we offer a large array of educational classes. We offer support groups and we also offer um, social workers who work one-on-one with families to develop some short-term plans and strategies as well as longer-term plans. And, and how can the public get involved? I mean, all these uh, resources take, um, resources. <laughs> so um, how do they help? You know, it's a variety of ways. Even just talking about the disease, learning a little bit about it, and sharing that information helps raise awareness. Unfortunately, we still live in a day and age where we don't talk about Alzheimer's disease as we might with kidney problems. You know, kidneys aren't sexy either. You know, we we need, you know, hearts. People like to talk about hearts. Yeah. And they like to talk about breast cancer. Yeah. And they, you know, but it, it is. It's, you know, some of these other, I guess, um, hearts and breasts are, you know, more palatable to people to learn about, which I, I, I'm very grateful that people, you know, learn about that. But it is. Like, kidneys aren't very exciting. I mean, you know, I guess... Alzheimer's isn't very exciting. We really need to get a great PR campaign going to help bring awareness. You're absolutely right. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Um, other ways to address your resource issue is all of our Alzheimer's Association offices across the country have a walk to end Alzheimer's, and those are in the fall, so we're kind of coming up on that. And individuals can find more information and a walk close to them on our website. And we also, again, trying to make it sexy, trying to influence um, elected officials to make good legislation to Mm -hmm. support family caregivers, um, access to good health care, and other supports for people and families with Alzheimer's. Policy drives health care. So for those of you listening, I mean, I, I, I basically preach this all the time is that, you know, you have to educate your elected official if you want them to be helpful with your illness or they just got too many things and they just don't think about it. So it's very important. It's really true. The squeaky wheel. Gets the oil or gets the budgets, I should say. (laughs) That's more appropriate. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And um, uh, your website is alz.org and uh, your specific website is alz.org slash SoCal, um, and you're, again, their director of education, and, you know, it sounds like they made a great decision. Um, if I could just give a little shout-out to your boss, I think you need a raise because you do such a great job of explaining this. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> and um, it's, it's been so helpful because I learned a lot. And anything you'd like to say in closing? No, I just really appreciate this opportunity. And again, I think everyone is impacted by healthcare issues. And even if your listeners are, don't, aren't directly impacted by someone with Alzheimer's disease, unfortunately, I think in their near future, they will know somebody. So it's 
we're really appreciative to have this opportunity to increase awareness. Well, thank you for all that you do in helping empower and educate the community. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Kidney Talk, a program of Renal Support Network. Please make sure to find us on Facebook or sign up for our newsletter at rsnhope.org. Kidney Talk is intended for informational purposes only. It is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment from your physician. Always seek the advice of your own health care provider regarding your medical condition.